Today is Reformation Sunday. It's the culmination of our series also, Does the Reformation Still Matter? And if you're just joining us today, we've been focusing on two fundamental questions. And if you're also interested, there should be some sermon notes. If you want to follow along, take notes. So two questions. What is the ultimate source of authority in the Christian faith and life? Now, if you've been here, if you've been tracking with this one, what's the answer to that one? Scripture alone. Scripture alone is the ultimate authority in Christian faith and life. And then this second question, how is a person justified or declared righteous before God? That's what we've been working on for really the last three weeks. And we have taken a look at the solas, which mean alone. And it is grace alone, faith alone, Christ alone. Those are the three solas of the Reformation that we've been focusing on to help answer this second question. See, the thing is, the thing is, if you are off at all with any of these, grace alone, faith alone, Christ alone, it's not just a little matter. It's a big matter. Because if you are off on any one of these, You change the very nature of the gospel. You change the message of the gospel. Souls are not saved. And what could be more important than that? So does the Reformation still matter? Yes, without doubt. Now, this should seem complete, right? Scripture alone, grace alone, faith alone, Christ alone. What's left? Well, there is actually one more. And it is solely Deo Gloria or glory to God alone, or some say to, be, to God be the glory alone. So why this one? Why this sola? If all the others seem pretty complete, and they do seem complete, why would we have this last one? The answer is very simply, it ensures that God is the center of everything. It reminds us that God is the source of everything and we cannot add anything to him or to his glory. It reminds us that that salvation is of God, from God, and has been accomplished by God. Did I leave anything out? That kind of encompasses it all, doesn't it? So for us to get a glimpse of Of what this means, we're actually going to focus on Isaiah chapter 42. Let me give you a really some brief context regarding Isaiah. So in chapters 1 through 39, it's a lot about God's, it's a lot about the sin of Israel, their rebellion, and God's judgment against that sin and rebellion. But even in the midst, even in the midst of, of that judgment, you see promises that are given regarding salvation, regarding redemption, regarding restoration. And then in chapter 40, there's like this new life that comes in and really talks about the comfort of Israel, the restoration of Israel, the promise of the Messiah. So we are going to start really with chapter 42. We've got verses 1 through... uh, what was it? One through 12. We're going to focus on five through nine, just that one chunk. And we're going to see three things this morning, the glory of God in creation, 
the glory of God in salvation and the glory of God in his very name. So let's go to the glory of God in creation. Isaiah chapter 42, starting with verse five. Thus says the Lord, thus says God, the Lord who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and what comes from it, who gives breath to the people on it and spirit to those who walk in it. The Lord establishes the ground of salvation in who he is and his creation. He says that he is the Lord who has created the heavens and earth, spread them out. It is from him that comes each and every one of our very breaths. This is a sweeping statement of creation. It says that there is nothing outside of God. From him and him alone comes all of creation. There is nothing to compare from to compare him for he is before all things and from him all things have come into existence. That's a sweeping statement, right? And most of us, we forget that day to day or in our hubris, which means just excessive pride. We think, well, yeah, there's God, but I've got my life and I've got my abilities to work things out. As a matter of fact, one time there were some scientists who approached God, said, listen, God, we don't need you anymore. These days we can clone people. We can do transplant organs. We can do all sorts of things that were considered mere miraculous at one point. We don't need you. As a matter of fact, we can take some ordinary dirt and make life out of it, human life. And God said, really? Well, isn't that interesting? Hmm. Don't need me anymore. Well, okay, let's put this theory to test. How about if we have a little test here, I'll make human life and you make human life. The scientists said, sure. They said, we just got to pick up that dirt. God said, hold on, wait a minute. You make your own dirt. (laughs) Right? We think that we know so, so much. Listen, just the earth, right? The earth alone, 70% is covered in water, oceans. And the cumulative knowledge that we have about just the earth and just the oceans is about 5%. 5%. But the scientists say, well, it's the oceans that control the climate. It's the oceans that regulate the temperature, that support the living organisms. But we just know 5%. Hmm. And then if you take a look at the physical universe, so if you look out into outer space, right? And the physical exploration that has been done of the universe out there, it's been calculated that cumulatively, all of history, all of people on earth, all of the scientists, everybody, we know about point zero followed by 28 zeros, followed by a one. I don't even know how to pronounce that number, but I know that it is minuscule in our knowledge. And yet we think we have conquered. We think that we know so much better. We know better than God regarding science, regarding everything like that. We also know better about God regarding morality as well. But listen to what it says in Isaiah chapter 40. And I'm just going to put uh, verse 18 up there. 
some selected verses. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand and marked off the heavens with a span, enclosed the dust of the earth in a measure and weighed the mountains in scales and the hills in a balance? Behold, the nations are like a drop from a bucket and are counted as dust on the scales. Behold, he takes up the coastlands like fine dust. To whom then will you liken God or what likeness compare him with? See, God alone is the one who sits enthroned above all of creation. If you take a look at Revelation chapter 4, verse 11, it says, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. It's really easy to take our life for granted. It's really easy to take creation for granted. It's really easy to take God for granted. So maybe today, just today, you take a moment and look at the glory of God in creation. This is how he grounds his message of salvation, of who he is. Now let's go to the glory of God in salvation. Let me give you just a little bit more context from Isaiah chapter 42. It's often called the servant's song because it speaks of a servant that God will send to his people to redeem his people. For instance, it starts off this, Isaiah 42, verse 1. Go back. Behold my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen, in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. God has put his spirit, the Holy Spirit, upon this person who will bring forth justice, but not just justice in human terms, justice in divine terms, not human righteousness, but God's righteousness. So who is this servant? It is none other than Jesus. How do we know this? Well, if we let scripture interpret scripture, which is what we covered in one of the solas, You just have to go to Matthew chapter 12, verse 17. And if you want to mark that in your Bible, you can. Speaking of Jesus, it says, this was to fill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. Behold my servant, whom I have chosen, my beloved, with whom my soul is pleased. I will put my spirit upon him, and he will proclaim justice to the Gentiles. So the servant song, God is saying, I have given my servant here, who is Jesus, And now what does he say about salvation? Now we're going to pick up with our reading from Isaiah chapter 42, verse 6. I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations, to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out prisoners from the dungeons, from the prison, those who sit in darkness. Now there's a lot packed into these verses here. Here's what I want you to notice one thing. One thing is, did you notice the I statements in there? I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand. I will give you as a covenant for the people. You know, I took a look at that really closely. I blew it up on the screen. The computer enlarged it. You know what I didn't find? My name. It didn't say anything about Clayton up there. I mean, do you find your name up there? I don't, I don't, I mean, I've looked. You, you can look. Maybe I'm missing it. I didn't even find Joyce's church name up there. 
I don't find any denomination up there. I don't find anything up there but who? God, right? It is God and God alone. See, I'm going to go back. If salvation was from God and there would be a savior from God. It was from God the Savior would be righteous, a covenant for the people, a light for the nation. It is all the Lord's doing. It is all the Lord's action. So in and through Jesus, because, right, Jesus is the servant, God made a covenant, a sacred promise for the restoration, the healing, and redemption of the people. And when you start to look at the text closely, you see that Jesus himself is the covenant. His very self is the covenant. He is the promise of God made manifest. And what is the essence of the covenant? It is the forgiveness of sin. That is the essence of this covenant, the forgiveness of sin. We are going to celebrate the Lord's Supper in a little bit here. But I want you to make the connection from Isaiah all the way to what Jesus said at the Last Supper, Matthew 26. As they were eating, Jesus took bread, and after blessing it, he broke it, gave it to his disciples, and said, Take, eat. This is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you. For this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sin. He gave his very body, he gave his very blood as the promise of this covenant. You see, he himself is the covenant of forgiveness of sin. And do you remember, if you were here last week, the importance of blood? That from sin there's death, and from his blood there's the atonement of sin or the forgiveness of sin. That is what we have in the Lord's Supper. And the promise that he gives, that God gives regarding this servant, is that the covenant is that those who are blinded by sin will see the glory of God in Christ Jesus. That those who are in darkness will see the great light of Christ. That those who are in the dungeon of despair and shackled in sin will be free in Christ. As Betsy said, If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And this is all for the glory of God. It is of God, by God, from God that salvation comes, and it is made manifest to us in Christ Jesus. There is no other promise. There is no other name by which we are saved. So here's the question today, right? Because you can sit here and you can just listen to all this and it can just be like, yeah, 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 pastor, we got it. Check the box. But here's the, the question I really want to ask. Have you entered into that covenant? If I could get down on my knees right now, I would. Actually, I will. Have you entered into the covenant? Have you entered into the covenant of Christ by receiving him as Lord and Savior? This is the message. This is the redemption. This is the hope. The hope. This is what God gives us. 
You see the glory of God in salvation. You see it in his creation. And you see it in his very name, for he has signed and sealed this covenant with his holiness. Verse 8 says, I am the Lord. That is my name. My glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. Most of you know the Declaration of Independence, right? What's the biggest name on the Declaration of Independence? John Hancock, right? It's the biggest one there. You can't miss it. And by the way, have you ever heard the phrase, put your Hancock here? Right? His name has become synonymous with signing your name. Well, what God has done here, God has signed and sealed the covenant by using his holy name so that we would know from whom salvation comes. See, what you've got up there is the name. It says the Lord, right? In Scripture, the Lord. You see that in Hebrew. It actually stands for Yahweh, God's holy, sacred name. To insult his name, to profane his name, is to actually profane his very nature, his holiness. Go back to Revelation chapter 4, verse 8 again. Verse 8, it says, And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and within, and, listen to this, and day and night, they never cease to say, A holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. To say holy three times is to speak of his perfect holiness. One writer put it this way. His holiness is what God is and nobody else is. It is the quality of perfection that can't be improved upon, that can't be imitated, that is incomparable, that determines that all that he is and is determined by nothing from outside of him. It signifies his infinite worth, his intrinsic value, his manifold perfection. Thus, when we speak about the glory of God, we speak about the radiance of his very nature. The glory of God is the radiance of his very nature, and his very nature is holy. And he says that he will give no other glory to uh, uh, any, uh, anyone else, not to idols, not to sinful man, not to idols. That's a restatement, really, of the Ten Commandments, isn't it? The first commandment, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I am the Lord your God a jealous God. God's holiness is so great that we shouldn't have any other thought of glorifying anything else other than him alone. He is protective of his name. He is jealous of that. And jealous means protective. Just like if a Husband had eyes for another woman, the wife would be jealous. She would be protective and vice versa. That's protection he has of his holiness. 
Now, I want you to make one other connection here. He says, I'm going to give my glory to no other, right? But what about Jesus? Because a lot of people think of God the Father up here and then Jesus the Son somewhere down below. But they have the exact same glory. To know Jesus is to know God. To, know, to understand the glory of God is to understand Jesus. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3 says, He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And listen to this. And he upholds the universe by the power of his word. That's the exact same glory of God. To know Jesus is to know the glory of God. This is why in our scripture reading today from John, I wanted to include that because verse 5, it says, And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had before with you before the world existed. Do you understand why this is important? Glory to God alone. Glory to God alone. It is very difficult to encapsulate the glory of God because how do you speak about perfection? How do you speak about such holiness? So we have seen in Isaiah, the glory of God in creation, the glory of God in salvation, and the glory of God in his very name. So today, today if you have not heard the voice of Christ calling you, harden not your heart. Talk to me, talk to a member of the board, talk to people. Because this is the day that the Lord has made for you, for your redemption, for your hope, for your salvation. And when you start to marvel about God and when you read his word and understand all of this, you understand the message of the good news, the gospel is not what we have done, but what God has done for us. And thus we say to him, alone be the glory forever and ever. Amen.